Hello and welcome to the Business and Technology Show. I'm Tom Lyons. Uh, This week, the Irish Times publishes its eagerly awaited Top 1000 Companies list. Uh, Fiona Redden is the editor of the Top 1000 and she joins me now in studio to discuss this year's survey. Uh, Fiona, what are the key findings? Hi, Tom. Um, It's been a, a mixed year for Irish business. Overall, the survey shows that of the 1,000 companies included, some 60% grew their sales last year, down a little bit on the previous year when 62% reported an increase in sales. And can you tell us about the top 10? I mean, which is the biggest company and is there any new entries compared with previous years? Well, some might say it's a bit surprising, but the top company is actually an Irish company, construction giant CRH. And even though it made a loss last year, it's still the biggest company in Ireland. But there's been a change in the second position. Microsoft has slipped back to third place. And Google, which actually grew its revenues by almost 25% last year, that's slipped into number two. And Fiona, who, who are, you know, in terms of making profits, are there companies that really surprised you that they've come onto the list or companies that, have really, or that are really doing well at the moment? Well, in fact, this might surprise some, but the most profitable company in Ireland last year was actually the central bank with profits of 1.5 billion. Um, previous year it had been Microsoft, but that the profits slipped down last year. And you also, you've picked out some of the rising stars, Fiona. Uh, can you take us through who, who are the companies that you know that, you, that you've identified as being ones to watch? Yeah, these are the companies that reported fastest growth in their revenues in the most recent financial year. And surprisingly, again, you have companies like Shanahan Engineering, Ecosem, Delasha, and Homestore and more. Now, they're all in sectors that might surprise construction, retailing and tourism. But the reason possibly they're growing so fast is that they might have... um, uh, their growth might have stalled during the downturn. And now they're picking up again. And now they're picking up again, yeah, and growing quite fast. And did you find when you're putting this together, Fiona, is it hard to work out, you know, like are some of the companies quite secretive about how well they're doing? Like how do you find all, where do you find this data from? Yeah, well, it all comes from the company's registration office. office. But interestingly, when you say that, I mean, there's been so much of a spotlight on Ireland and tax practices of multinational companies. We found this year that more and more companies are filing unlimited Abbott Pharmaceuticals, for example, which had a billion in profits in Ireland previously, has now gone unlimited, so it won't disclose. Perhaps to escape criticism or or maybe just to to stay private. To stay private, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And Fiona, the theme of, well, one of the big themes of the magazine this year is the the area of gender diversity among the top 1,000 companies. How do women fare overall uh, versus their male counterparts? Mm, it's quite good. This year we looked at the C-suite, which is the top five executive management positions within an organisation. And when you come across the 1,000 companies, 25% of those positions are actually held by women, which would be quite above international norms. Um, Cheryl Sandberg looked at this in the US and she found that about 15% of Fortune 500 companies, um, are, those positions are held by women. So Ireland is doing better in that respect. And did you find that certain sectors are better for gender diversity versus others, which, you know, maybe are more uh, traditional male dominated? Yeah, I think with pharmaceuticals, it turned out to be the best. Actually, about 31% of those positions are held by women and construction, which you might think is male dominated, that holds up in the survey. And Fiona, I believe you met with some of Ireland's leading executives while compiling the survey. Yes, I did. We made a video with them for irishtimes.com and they ex- discussed their experiences and career paths and the obstacles that they have faced in getting to where they are. Great. Let's have a listen to some of that now. I think it's self-belief. I think women sometimes are their hardest critic. 
and I think it's more about believing in yourself, trusting yourself and going for it. Balancing having children and maintaining your, um, your work and your career progression. The biggest obstacle is sometimes ourselves in being our own harshest critics as women. As you go up to the organisations, there's less and less women. And I think that is a challenge. Um, you know, I think sometimes, often you find yourself in, in a minority, and that can make it harder. If women ruled the world, uh, I think it would be a place where money didn't matter so much, and it would be more about life and being happy. There'd be no queue for the ladies' toilets. I think companies would be better, and governments would be better, if we had a, a greater balance at senior level. Um, I do think quotas is one way of achieving that. And, I, you know, I think it's radical, but it will make a big difference. And I think that would be a huge um, step forward for generations of women to come. And you can see that video on the irishtimes.com and also the top1000.ie, which is a dedicated website to the survey. Uh, Fiona, just finally, whilst I have you here, was there anything that really concerned you about this survey? Um, I guess it's great that 25% of C-suite roles are held by women, but when you move up right up to chief executive level, it's just about 11% of these roles are held by women. And if you look at chief financial officer, finance director again, women are far outnumbered by men. Well, look, thanks for coming on the programme. This is uh, Fiona Redden, editor of the Top 1000 Companies. Well, the government has announced its Construction 2020 plan. Uh, This is a set of measures designed to boost the construction industry, get people back building again, and hopefully get more houses into the Dublin property market in particular. Uh, Given what's happened in in previous years where we've seen this incredible bubble and incredible burst, is it all about to happen again or is this a good idea? I'm joined now by Arthur Beasley, a political news editor with the Irish Times and Barry O'Halloran, business card correspondent to discuss things further. Uh, Barry, can you take me through what are the key points in Construction 2020? Okay, well, there are a number of fundamental things. One of the first up is to address this perceived bottleneck in housing in the housing supply in Dublin. They're going to do that by by getting the uh, Department of the Environment and the four local authorities to join forces, identify uh, areas where there is existing planning and identify, essentially identify sites that can be fast-tracked into development. The second element is to, to come up with um, a, a database that, um, that that will essentially track supply and demand for housing across the country to ensure that we don't walk ourselves back into the same kind of situation in which we found ourselves in 2007 and 2008. Along with that, then, there are various proposals ex- exploring ways and means of funding the industry because, as we know, the banks... Um, our, our banks are still not functioning very well and our, many of them are not in a position to provide the, the level of development finance that that the industry needs and, and that the government believes the industry needs to execute the, the, the plan that it launched yesterday or the, the plan that it launched this week. And Arthur, one of the big things in it is they're talking about first-time buyers and how do we help them back into the market. What are the key points there? Well, you're quite right, Tom. There's 75 points in the plan, but the strikeout point that has uh, captured most attention is the suggestion that the state would intervene in the residential property market with a form of guarantee over a small portion of the mortgage loan drawn down by first-time buyers for brand new homes. Now, this is still embryonic. Uh, There is to be an examination within the Department of Finance over the next six months 
but it's very, very contentious and very, very political because there are fears that it could lead to a repeat of the kind of problems which led ultimately to the property bubble in Ireland and the spectacular crash. And Barry, you know, here we are, we're hearing words like state intervention. Uh, you know, doesn't this sound quite familiar? I mean, isn't this, this, is this, is this do, you, do you think, a political stunt or something that's, that's timed very much for the next election? Well, it looks like a political stunt that's in danger of going very badly wrong. First off, if, if you're going to, to, to ease the access to mortgage finance to people, there actually has to be something there for them to buy. And the, the argument is that the, the reason that, that house prices in Dublin particularly have been rising at, su- at such a dramatic rate over the last 12 months is that there is no supply. There, the houses aren't there to be bought. So um, the, the, the logic of that, the, the logic of it, if you like, is, star- is, is starting to fall apart straight away. The second element of this, and this is something that, that I think people haven't really looked at at all, is that, you know, if you are going to fuel demand, all you're going to do is drive up costs. If you're driving up costs... The, the, the people who are taking out the mortgages will still have to pay those costs at the end of the day. So something like this, really, it, it just seems to be redundant. The real problem here is that our banks simply aren't lending and our, our banks aren't functioning in the way that, norm, that, that banks normally should. And both that and a lot of the other issues raised in the document during the week um, could be addressed simply by having a, a properly functioning banking system. And Arthur, you know, Fianna Fáil has come out and there's, they're big critics of this plan, even though it's, it's, it might perhaps be something that they would have proposed only five or six years ago. Uh, like, do you think that they've got much credibility coming along here and criticising the government? Or do you think that they're making good points? Well, the opposition has to oppose, but uh, it is fair to say that uh, Fianna Fáil's credibility uh, remains uh, deeply damaged in the wake of the crash. Um, The government, in its defence, and uh, I would quote here Michael Noonan, the finance minister, uh, he says this morning that the government isn't flying blind into this particular plan. He emphasises that there will be a very detailed economic analysis, and of course he would say that. But he he does say that there was a mortgage insurance initiative in Britain which worked in parts of England, but which led to problems in the London market. So what he's trying to say is that, look, there will be a nuanced approach if the government does indeed go down this road, and that the fears around this whole initiative creating a new bubble, that they are overdone. Uh, All people in government say there will be no repeat of the bubble, but I do think when you listen to the the measured tenor of Michael Noonan's remarks, particularly this morning, that uh, they are conscious of the risks that would attach to any endeavour such as this. And Arthur, you know, Minister Noonan, I mean, there's speculation that, you know, he might step down in the next 12 months. I mean, would you be confident, you know, that, you know, whatever he might, he, he might feel confident that he can keep a nuanced approach? Do you think over time that the, that the government will be able to keep it like that? Well, uh, I don't know about uh, the speculation around uh, Michael Noonan. I think the expectation uh, in government circles at this point is that he will continue in the finance ministry. He has himself declared that he will be running in the next election, which is not scheduled until 2016, although who knows what might happen in the intervening uh, period. Um, The one uh, big danger around a plan such as this one is that it is deni- it is it is cast essentially to pull supply along the argument is is that banks aren't uh, supporting new developments because they they cannot be certain that there would be demand for those developments or that the people who are supposed to be buying those houses will be able to get mortgages the argument is is that you have 
young couples who might have a 10% deposit collected, but because of the constraints on the banking system, that a 20% deposit is required from the lender. And this is where the state is supposed to intervene with support over the 10% that would go between, if you like, the original 10% and the and the remaining 80 But all of that is uh, very, very tricky and it's very, very complex and... Uh, it is risky because we are already in a situation in Dublin where prices are climbing quite rapidly and you have a repeat of uh, conversations, it seems to me, all over the city where people who have been looking to buy a home are talking about being priced out of the market. And Barry, what's the reaction been like from all of the the different stakeholders here, from the construction industry itself to, to economists? Well, the construction industry itself, um, understandably, is very welcoming of anything um, because they really feel that that nobody has given that that uh, nobody has been looking out for their interests in the last six years. Although the, you could essentially argue that that a lot of the exercise of the last five or six years is is down to the construction industry. The kind of key point that they made, and the key point that Philip Crampton, who's president of the Construction Industry Federation, made yesterday, was that there's 75 points. They are all very, um, they are all very uh, aspirational, and that the government actually needs uh, to, to to act on all of them and to ensure that that, that as many of these actions as, as it calls them itself um, are actually acted upon and delivered upon. But you know, a huge chunk of them are actually they're they're not just aspirational. They're they, they really seem to boil down a lot of the time to meetings about meetings. So the the reality of any of this or a large chunk of this being delivered seems to be very very far away. And Arthur, the context is we still have our banks, which are, you know, they're, they're, they're not exactly fixed. Uh, where, do, where do they fit in here? Well, the, 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 the whole difficulty around this particular uh, mortgage support plan is the very notion of the use of the word guarantee. Now, anyone who takes the trouble of reading this document would see that the word guarantee isn't used and that the word mortgage insurance is, in fact, used because the, precisely because uh, any Irish government would be naturally reluctant to use the word guarantee. But that's the kind of the, the realm we are in. And the fact remains that the Irish banking system has received... Uh, in excess of 60 billion euro from the taxpayer, there are two surviving banks which are still, which are still a, a, have huge amounts of state capital within them, and the perception remains that they're still not doing enough to put money out there into the real economy, despite all of the money that they have coming in. And really, when you hear the Minister for Finance and the Taoiseach and the Tornista and the government at large. Uh, putting its name to a document that's talking about mortgage insurance, albeit the kind of initiative tried before in other countries such as Britain, that to me is an acknowledgement that they feel they're not going to get much more out of the banks without doing something else. 64 billion euro later, that's quite an admission. What do you think of that, Barry? You know, does, you know, like, should they be taking a tougher line with the banks rather than coming up with all these initiatives to help uh, property developers? Well, it does actually seem to be uh, very much an admission of failure because I think I made the point earlier that that you wouldn't be need for a need for a lot of what they're talking about if the banks were functioning normally. Perhaps they do need to take a tougher line with the banks, but they they have been doing that since, in some shape or form, since they were elected in two, in two thousand and eleven, and it obviously hasn't delivered. Um, and they quite obviously don't expect it to be delivered uh, th- this time around either. And in fact, there is w- one element buried deep within the, the the report where not where not just NAMA and the government and the industry, but the banks themselves are actually going to sit down 
and discuss the possibility of raising non-bank finance of all things for development projects, including projects that the, such as roads, water treatment, etc., that the, the state itself may actually need to have built. So that's kind of how intransigent the banks look. Well, and it's also related to the fact that the, the banks have yet to get over, if you like, the consequences of the crash and all of the bad loans that remain on their books. Meanwhile, the people in the real economy and the government that is trying to engineer an economic recovery are left uh, out here in the real world, if you like, in real time. So there's a major disconnect there, it seems to me. And Arthur, I mean, it's like our problem is that, you know, there's shortages of houses in the Dublin area. Yet we've got, you know, in regional cities around the place, we've got stacks of houses. We've still got lots of ghost estates. They're talking about bringing in a planning regulator and and bringing in some changes to planning. What are the key points there? Well, I I think the the ultimate point is that the proposals in the Mahan Tribunal report will be uh, finally implemented. The report has been out for years. This will involve the establishment of an independent planning authority. Now, that that will be supposed to be, if you like, to take politics out of the planning system. But uh, that's down the line, and we have to wait and see what happens. Um, And, you know, the question arises as to whether that's going to do anything about the acute shortage of property in Dublin right now. That's unlikely. But then there is something of a get-out because... This is cast as a long-term plan, construction 2020. These are things which are, will, t- will take shape only over the course of the next five and a half years. And Barry, for people, you know, you know, hearing about this plan and all these new initiatives and they're thinking, you know, should I get off the pot here and go and buy a house or not? Uh, like, what do you think? I mean, do you think that it's going to ma- make such a big difference? Uh, you know, like, should they get into the market now or should they hang off? Um, you're really asking me to take a punt on the unknown. Um, but one thing, I, one point I would make in relation to all that, the, the banks last year apparently approved somewhere less than 15,000 mortgages, which is a tiny amount, uh, even given the fact that we're a small country. And I think that kind of begs the question as to where all this demand is coming, for, uh, coming from rather for, for property in Dublin, because people certainly aren't getting the money from the banks in the first place. Um, and if the banks are being that unwilling to, to, to loan people money, it, it may not necessarily be a great time to get off the pot unless you actually have the cash to go out there and, uh, and purchase the property outright. And Arthur, the timing of all of this, you know, in terms of electioneering and there's all sorts of allegations going around, uh, do you think that, that, is, that that's genuine or do you think that this is something that the, the, the state's been working on for some time? Well, uh, I think there's, there's been talk about this plan for a good many months. Uh, even late last year, there was talk about something for the construction industry, even around the budget uh, introduced uh, last October, which is uh, many, many months ago at this point. The opposition charges that, look at, this is unseemly electioneering on the part of the government nine days out from very, very important midterm elections, the first electoral test for the government since it took office in 2011. That is rejected by the Taoiseach and the Tánaiste. People are going to have to make their own minds up, and it's they who will be casting their votes. And Barry, just over to you finally. Uh, like, overall, you know, what's, what's, what's your good instinct on this? You know, more good than bad? Um, my good instinct is very mixed. The, the one thing I would say is that there is some effort to bring transparency to, to transparency rather to the housing market. I think that is the one good thing I would take out of it. But there are 74 other elements to it, and I'm pretty sceptical about most of them, I would say. And Arthur, what's your final reaction? Well, I mean, look, at uh, the, the point is made that the uh, construction collapse 
has gone on for far too long. Construction isn't picking up along with the gradual turnaround in the, in the rest of the economy. The government has to do something, uh, but this is an incremental plan. There's a whole lot to it, and uh, you know, there's no magic wand solution here. Um, time will tell whether the thing actually works, but uh, something needs to be done. And, uh, you know, in the Irish context, uh, there are many, many, many people who previously worked in the, in, in the construction industry who remain out of a job. If this goes some way towards a recreation of, uh, of employment in that sector, well then, you know, the more people that get back to work, well then, the quicker the thing is going to turn around. But who knows at this point? Arthur Beasley, political news editor with the Irish Times and Barry O'Halloran, business correspondent. Thanks for coming on the programme. And that's it for this week's Business and Technology Show. I'm Tom Lyons. Uh, Producer was Sinead O'Shea and sound engineer was JJ Vernon.